Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. Just like that, the second hour is here. OutKick 360 from 6th and Peabody. Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine getting it done. Crew is all here. Always getting it done. Uh, Coming up, Michael McHenry will join us in a matter of minutes. We're going to talk World Series, Astros Phillies, and the win yesterday for Houston from the combined no-hitter and what it means now, headed back uh, with a guarantee that the World Series will end at your home park and getting the combined no-hitter and then having your ace on the mound coming up in the swing game. Ace is... uh... Yeah, we'll break down Verlander. Coming up. A questionable title for him anymore. Um, unless he's playing the Yankees. Correct. <laughs> even, they, even they, you know, had him on the ropes a little bit. Uh, just a quick NFL notes on injured reserve. Rashad Bateman, wide receiver with the, the Ravens. He's been placed on IR having foot surgery. And Michael Thomas is having toe surgery after waiting it out in New Orleans, trying to This guy loves to wait what it happens. out. Loves to wait. Yeah, uh, he's been placed on injured reserve. Both are done for the season. Both coaches uh, acknowledging that they're not expected to be back uh, this year. That's like three lost years for Michael Thomas. Yeah. Who was, Oof. you know, as good yeah. as it got. Yeah, top of the league. And you'd gone from a Hall of Famer to a uh, uh, guy sitting on the sideline watching. He got paid, you know, and then so right a year after, after that. that is whenever he's gone through these, these injury lulls. And this is, you know, toe he injury, turf toe to come toe back something. from this and become a dominant guy again, or he's an yep. afterthought. Yeah, and, you know, they've got Olave, who's terrible. Like, he's great. But imagine Olave paired with Michael Thomas that was what and they were Alvin Kamara. That's what you they know? were thinking. That's why you do that plus the defense, which was really good last year, and they're not this year. That gets, That's why that Peter, gets King you Peter King picking you to go to the Super Bowl. That's right. Time to talk some World Series. Michael McHenry joins us, former Major League catcher and now, broadcaster, Michael, how are you, man? I'm doing well. I'm in West Virginia today. Oh. I always keep you guys on your toes of where I'll be. I'm like, where's Waldo? God's country. Why West Virginia? I actually uh, officially sent my wiring in to close on my house in uh, Pittsburgh, and the closest local bank was in West Virginia, so I enjoyed the drive. <laughs> Fair right. enough. Interesting. Uh, what do we make? Congrats of, on this, by the way, yeah. on, the, on the yeah. closing. Thanks. Appreciate it. What do we make of a combined uh, no hitter? We were talking about how uh, the general public doesn't doesn't regard it by any means as as the same as a, as a guy doing it himself, but still quite an accomplishment, especially when that team crushed it the day before. I think the reality of it is we better get used to it with all these pitch counts and everything. The way the game's going, we're not going to see guys that you know kind of grab the ball and just will not let go of it. You know. I remember back in the day, Maddox, Glavin, Smoltz, those guys would never let go of the ball if they were pitching well. They would almost argue with the manager to stay in the ball game. It's just not that way. These guys are younger. They're fighting to stay in the league, so they're not going to push back. And there's not many guys that have been around long enough to say, no, 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 this is my game. So we're going to see a lot more of it. I think it makes it even tougher as a hitter, to be honest. If you're seeing a guy four time through, you may have a better chance. 
But yeah, when you when you bring in those dynamic arms and you can kind of mix and match, it makes it a little bit easier to have those no hitters. And that's the second one the Astros have had this year. Same starter, just really impressive. First time in MLB history, which I thought was one of those like oddities. You you'd think after all these years that would have happened at least more than once, but the game's completely changed. Both of these teams, Michael, have now exchanged, you know, southpaw and then uh, across with the right hook, you know, and and now it's like, okay, will Philly respond, or is this now Houston retaking over the momentum of the series? What do you, how do you think this goes? I mean, since we're Philadelphia bound right now, I feel like it's like Rocky Four. I feel like Drago just took the lead, showed off, did everything. He's got the highlight. But I feel like Philly's going to pull back. I mean, you saw him leaving early last night, kind of disgusted. That's kind of how they play. Like, we're all in. We're all out. Tonight, they have to show up. They have to push back on Verlander. You know, him giving the bird, saying that's their native language. Everything else, they need to come out in full force tonight against that man. Make him feel that pressure and try to get that emotional side out of not just Verlander, but the Houston Astros that, you know, we may have gotten knocked down. We grabbed the rope, pulled ourselves back up, and we're ready to go. And I think that's the kind of mentality this team has. I mean, they've taken a lot of hits. They've had a lot of ups and downs all year long. And I think there's something to be said when you're in the playoffs to go through that resiliency through through the year. We've got a good friend in Houston who said Verlander was showing him how many innings he's going to pitch. Um, ah, <laughs> I like that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he and Kirsch are such amazing stories as for how good they are and how ineffective they've been in the biggest games of their lives when you look at Verlander what's what you're thinking as to how he's got such a big ERA and such a lack of success in the World Series I think honestly you kind of look at what they're saying more than anything you know you look at Kershaw never really made an excuse never said anything wasn't mechanical wasn't this Verlander's done the opposite and for me as a guy that needed to read those guys that's him adding pressure on himself he wants to be the man on the stage in the arena by himself in that moment. I mean, I remember, I believe it was 2011, we're facing Verlander. I'm the second to last out in a no-hitter bid for him. Josh Harrison hits a ball up the middle. This ball's this far off the plate. The man threw his uh, catcher under the bus, which was remarkable to me. Alex Sevilla, he said, yeah, I just, I knew I shouldn't have thrown that pitch. I'm like, the pitch was this far off the plate. Like, it doesn't matter what you would have actually done. That's the reality. So it's one of those moments that you just have to say, you know, go out there, do your thing. Don't make excuses. Show us what you got as soon as you walk out there. And he did say that in his last interview, which I really, really appreciate. Do you ever become immune to boos and booing if you're playing in Philly? And if you're a Phillies player, I know you've played there quite a bit, but not as a member of the team. But I'm curious if it's just something that, you know, it's just part of the ethos of the city. Then eventually you don't even hear it. It's like a pitch that a dog can't hear. It's just like a Philadelphia player doesn't even hear the boos anymore. Or does it always affect you? I, I think it depends on how you're playing. But I always liked guys coming at me. You know, there, there, there there's a quote, uh, critic, what is it? Uh, the man in the arena. The critic doesn't count. And that always played out in my mind. But I loved playing in Philadelphia. I loved playing in places where they got onto me. I wore my pants up most of the time. And I remember this one time, it was when I was in the minor leagues, there was this group of guys. They'd obviously been drinking, having a blast, called me Oompa Loompa. So as I was walking to the plate, and this was a long walk in the minor leagues, they're going Oompa Loompa Doopa Dee Doo. I had two homers, had six <laughs> RBIs, and got to shove it right back in their face. And it became fun. It was like a backyard game of baseball. And that's what it's all about. If you'll play with these guys or, or gals that are making fun of you and doing some things, as long as they don't get really, really personal, 
they'll have fun with you, especially if you kind of push back. Michael McKendry, our guest, uh, take us in the clubhouse. How is Bryce Harper viewed across the league, player to player? Um, you know, he, I, I know you believe he's changed quite a bit from when he first entered the league to now, but how is he perceived by those who play the game with him? Well, I don't think any of us can understand what it's like to be called a prodigy. Maybe maybe not. I, I don't want to speak for you guys, but I've never been called a prodigy or the Jack, next Jack coming or anything that. like yes. that. Yes. Well, yes. absolutely. I'm sure you guys have had it. In some <laughs> I'll, I'll answer all prodigy <laughs> questions from here on out. Sure. Yeah, I, I, I figured I saw you levitating before the show. <laughs> yeah, so I, exactly. I get it. Yeah. And the ra- reality of it is, is like he had so much expectation, so much of this thing around him that no 14 year old, 15 year old should ever have to have. So I think he grew up in the league, which not many people do. LeBron James did. And he's this kid trying to figure it out. And he's putting the weight of the world on himself. All of a sudden gets married, has kids, maybe has one or two. I saw that shift in him. He became a different human being. I don't know if it was his big contract or what, or when an MVP, but you just saw this calm go over him. That intensity was still there, but he was able to kind of harness it. And the calmest man in the room is always the scariest. And he's become that calm man. He's leading by example. He's always played hard. I've always respected him as a player. Didn't know him enough as a person, especially behind the scenes, to really make any like true picture of who he is. But this guy is leading a team. He's playing hurt. He's done some remarkable things this year. He probably would have been the MVP in the National League if he didn't get hurt. But you got to remember, torn UCL had wrist surgery, came back, stills doing work, huge, huge numbers in the playoffs. And don't be surprised tonight if he comes out and makes a bang early. Momentum's a big thing in the playoffs, no doubt. What what has sparked this for the Phillies to where they're they're in the mix? And not only that, I mean, they're expected. I mean, Paul and Chad both said they still think Phillies win the series. Um, and this is a Houston franchise that's used to being in this moment. They win tonight, they win the series. No doubt about it. I said one, two, one when Someone asked me, I said, they, they they have to win one in that first series. They have to win two at home because they haven't lost at home. They lost last night. Now they got to have that bounce back, win tonight, and go to Houston, have that happy flight, and finish it out. And also, you you, you hurt that big dog again, and then that's going to be a big thing. So I think the reality of where Philadelphia is, it's been a while. You know, they, they've kind of been out of sight, and then you see these guys showing up. You know, Chase Utley and Rollins, those guys threw out a first pitch. The city – the, the alumni, everybody's backing these guys, but they're not doing it in a way that, oh, it's okay no matter what. They're leaving the park last night when they're not playing well. Like, we have higher expectations for you guys. And that's different than our society. That's different than what we normally see. These people want to ring, and they want to ring now. They don't want to wait, but they were also crushing these guys early on in the season. Like, figure it out already. All this money poured into this. We need to win. Well, they're winning. They're doing some things, and they're doing it a different way because they look like a unit that's playing together. A lot of talk about what McCullers was and wasn't doing when he was giving up all those home runs two games ago. Um, saw some analysis about how high he was raising his his glove in his in his motion as related to what pitch he was throwing. Is that what it was to you? Were they were they reading that? What, what, what was uh, the basis of what they were discussing and what he might have been showing? Yeah, that, yeah, there was something there. There's no doubt in my mind. But every single pitcher tips. Especially with Pitchcom, I feel like it's going to be even more evident in the long run because the lack school mindset comes in because they don't have to really do anything different. They're not shaking. They're not doing some stuff. So, like, you're, you'll see tempos change. You'll see, like, McCullers, he was going over his head. One was going right in front of his head, and that's how they were doing it. But the biggest thing is when you get someone signs, right? Like Del- Delgado, when he played, 
He always had a bad first half, and then he would figure out how guys tipped and have a giant second half. Daniel Murphy picked up on that trend, changed his career. So every guy tips, it's trusting what you see. And if one time it's off, it throws you off. I'll never forget. I thought a fastball was coming and I almost fell down on that breaking ball, you know, because my, my guy was like, I got him. I got him. It was right. 10 times out of 10. That 11 times that breaking ball that had me on my butt in the box. If every pitcher tips, why is every pitcher so defiant that they don't? Uh, McCullers as an example was asked about it. It was very clear to anyone watching on TV. Bryce Harper calls over Bohm and says, this is what he's going to do. And he went out and did it. Um, but McCullers says, no, we're not talking about that. Did not happen. I got whipped. End of story. No excuse. I got whipped. Is that something working with, with pitchers over the course of your career, Michael, that maybe they say it publicly that way, but then go back and work on what their tips are with their catcher or what they're seeing so they can correct that? Or do they just not want to talk about it, period? Yeah, I think it's it's one of those things. It's it's like the bad ex-girlfriend or something. You just don't want to ever talk about it again. But yeah, there's a reality there. They're working on it. They're trying to figure some things out. But once again, I mean, there's guys like Randy Johnson. I was listening to the broadcast. They said Randy Johnson had tipped his entire career. Guess what? Nobody hit him because the stuff's so good. McCullers didn't have good stuff. He was leaving stuff out over the middle of the plate. So even if he was tipping, the breaking ball was playing, the fastball, and he had better command, it still wouldn't be easy to hit. It's still a major league fastball, major league off-speed pitches, and it's hard to kind of figure out that dynamic if they're hitting their spots. So the reality of it is he didn't pitch well and he was kind of given a little bit of a gift to these guys. So yes, every guy's worried about it. It's constant. These video guys, they're doing replay. They have a team around them. And as soon as whack, 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 that's the first thing they look at. What's going on? Is something happening? Is he kind of digging in his glove? Is he taking a deep breath on his fastball? And a great example is when I was in Tampa Bay, I told our pitching coach or bullpen coach at the time, I said, hey, Snell is tipping every single pitch. He goes, but nobody can hit him. Don't don't mess with his mind. And sometimes that's the reality. And nobody hit him all year. I think he won the Cy Young the next year. You think there's been anything tactically here for there to be an advantage between Baker and Thompson or because of the shape of these games outside of game one, which was a, a taut thriller? Um, there hadn't been much room for anything for the managers yet, and maybe it's still to come in these final three. Yeah, I think the, the usually the end of these series, that's where the manager really comes at play. You know, you know, they took that kid out last night to pitch so well. I mean, just remarkable numbers of his last six starts. And the reality of it is now he may be able to pitch, you know, in game seven. You keep him alive in case you need him. There is some strategy going on. It's just how can I save guys here and there? You know, if they get a big lead today, try to save Presley, do some different things. But you want to try to set up the next game if you know this one's out of hand and not try to claw and claw and claw and fight and fight. Once you see that reality, you kind of make a shift and get ready for the next one. That's what I love about what Philadelphia said. Every single guy is like, who cares? It's only one game. We're going to wake up tomorrow, start over. Congratulations. We're part of the history books. That's what Schwarber said. I also had a little bit of language in there. It was kind of funny, but that's the reality. Like we play so many games. It really doesn't matter. We just have to wake up and play again. This team's been resilient and they're going to try to do it again. Michael McHenry with us. Paul, I can't remember if it was Sunday or Monday. You sent me a link about the home plate umpire who had a 100% call rate for strikes and balls. Yeah. It got every pitch right. According to one of those um, uh, websites, I think it was game one. Um, according to, to, to the Twitter thing, he didn't miss a pitch. I, I thought that was remarkable too. And I don't know how you guys feel about the automated strikes, and I hate it. And the reason is, 
I've been called out. I actually got thrown out of a game. The only game I ever got thrown out in my professional career was about balls and strikes. And it was a ball and he made a mistake, but I, I became friends with that dude later on, you know, and I actually tried to hand him my bat and said, I'll sign it for you. If you needed it that bad, that's fine, man, <laughs> whatever. And I got thrown out, but like, I love that element. And there are remarkable guys out there. Yes. Do guys need to get better? Do they need to have an incredibly high standard? Yes, but they do. And if you continue to, you know, let these guys grow and mold, it'll be great. But I don't know if you've seen the new rule that they're trying in Arizona Fall League. The guys can tap their hat to challenge it. It happens in real time. It's on the scoreboard. And they show the line through StatCast of the pitch. Ball strike or whatever, they get to take their base or they walk back to the dugout. I think that's outstanding. One one time, you lose it. I don't know exactly the, the ins and outs of it, but that's cool to me. Don't take these human beings out of this game. Let these umpires get yelled at, spit at. I love it. I just keep it in the game and it shows that these guys can be perfect, but they shouldn't be. Yeah. It's like, it's like fighting in hockey, right? It doesn't need to go away. And, and it's acceptable there, but not other sports. Like I like the home plate. I like the umpires. I like the review though, uh, because it's just as fast Mm -hmm. as tennis. Like it's, it's immediate. You're not missing time and it takes five seconds. It's not like it takes, you got to go over, put the headset on and look around, you know, and and act like you're uh, doing something where you're just waiting on the call. It's uh, it's easy to manufacture and get that on the scoreboard. Absolutely, and I'd I'd love to bring fighting into baseball <laughs> instead of them coming out and having a little huddle and yell at each other and hold each other back like they're going to fight. Just just pick one guy, you know, have an enforcer and just let him go at it. Winner take all, right? You get the call, whatever they're arguing, they get the cake. And I, I wouldn't mind seeing a power play if they did an exhibition ex- exhibition game. You How know, fun would that be? Guy gets in trouble. They take him out of the game. You have two outfielders. That'd be a blast. <laughs> From a fan's perspective, just sheerly as a, a spectator of these sports, there's not many sports that you couldn't institute fighting in and it wouldn't make it more enjoyable. I mean, I look around. Isn't and that the ever, truth? If you just had like legal fighting in every possible sport, it'd be a lot more fun to watch. There's no doubt about it. There's reasons they yeah, don't, maybe but I, I would love it. Yeah, I would too. Absolutely. Like, so uh, I'm curious, like whenever there's a bench-clearing brawl in Major League Baseball, do you have the same role every time you leave the bench or the dugout? Like, do you, is there an unwritten protocol or assignment that you're doing? Or are you just looking for another guy in another uniform just to go, you know, put hands on the other uniform? Like, what, what's the goal there? I, I'm trying to be, I'm trying to hold down my nickname, I'm trying to hold somebody back, be okay. the fort until I get punched in the face. <laughs> and so, then, yeah. and then, everyone's then, waiting then on the just, first punch. You just let loose. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody's waiting for the first punch. I've been in some brawls in the minor leagues where someone got sucker punched and get really hurt. And it was just because that guy was having a bad day. It had nothing to do with what was actually going on. And then I've seen some stuff where, you know, there's beef between the two guys that we don't know about. Turns out had to do with the girl usually or something. Yeah. You know, like it, it's, it's, it's a wild thing and you never know what actually caused it because there's usually something in the past that kind of came to light that made the entire team go out. But those two guys usually aren't the guys that end up getting hurt or something bad happens to. Yeah, and I've always, I've often wondered like, there's got to be one or two guys on the bench or in the in on the field that aren't involved, but the manager and everyone in the clubhouse knows those are the the live wires. Like those are the guys we've got to make sure we hold back. And I'm sure everyone has an assignment on making sure, like you know, those two guys don't get involved and ruin a week for us on a road trip. Oh, no doubt, no doubt, and and also lose him. Right, right, him, right, exactly. He may get suspended for right. two weeks, and he's one of your better players. Yeah, there, there's some definite psychopaths you know, in those clubhouses <laughs> that if you if you snap that wire, they're coming in hot. It's like 
Chad over here. That's it. Every day. Hold him back. Every day. That's right. I try to fight people all over this facility every day, Michael. You just got to hold me back. I, I That's joke. why you're the prodigy. I, I get joke it because I, I'd love to see fighting in all these sports is watching it because I'm not the one who has to fight. Yeah, we get to watch <laughs> it. If I was playing the sport, I'd be like, oh, man, i got to go fight this guy again. <laughs> yeah. Damn it. We'll throw you in. I, 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 that would be like an everyday, you know, you're just up at dawn like, all right, who am I fighting tonight? I guess we're going to play a tennis Size match. Yeah, got to fight Nadal tennis. tonight. You're great. Guy's got a wicked left. <laughs> you can I check out uh, Michael McHenry that. on social at the Fort McHenry. Always great, man. Look forward to this next week, and we'll be chatting about the World, World Series champion. champion. Absolutely. See you guys, and you. it's an honor to meet you, Prodigy. No, you <laughs> here he is. Anytime. God bless you guys. Yeah, anytime. If He's you, here every day. If you want any pointers <laughs> on just the un- unbearable weight of being a Prodigy <laughs> and that responsibility, I'm, I'm happy to share those insights with you. I, I need it. I think it's really impressive. All you bear every day. That, yes. Yes. <laughs> it's a struggle being not. next to him. I can tell you that. Heavy, yeah. heavy is the crown. <laughs> we know how uh, Bryce Harper's teammates felt. Heavy is the crown. Yes, yes. I was in the SI Futures edition back in the day with Bryce, actually. Faces in the crowd. Yeah. Faces in the crowd. That's right. That's good thank pull, you, Mike. Man. Appreciate you, man. Right, thank you, guys. God bless. Yeah, man. There's Michael Thanks. McHenry, the fort. Love having him on each week during the Major League Baseball playoffs. And which Clausen was in breaking that? down the, the like World futures Series. thing? I think it was Jimmy, right? He was the youngest yes. of the Clausens. Yes, I remember a big deal was made about him being in, being a part of that. Faces in the crowd, and then you know you look, you read them, read up on them, and it's like the next day I don't remember any of them. Well, it's you know? funny when they have like an eight-year-old on there. You know, yeah. sometimes they go really young with yeah. the stars of their local Pop Warner or whatever it was. Uh, but I'd always the Sports Illustrated for kids. Back in the day, yes. like you'd get that at your elementary school. That was a favorite. Yeah, I'd get them from the library at our elementary school and, and read them all the time. I dated a girl who uh, edited Faces in the Crowd for really? a while. Nice. Let's get her on the show. <laughs> and ask her nothing her about Faces 10. in the Crowd. Her top ask her about Faces in the Crowd. Yeah. Not one question about Faces in the Crowd, just all about Paul when we get her on. <laughs> We'd like to have you on to talk about your editing days with Faces in the Crowd, and then she comes that, on. That first, so where did you go on your first day? The first time you noticed Paul's face in the crowd. You thought what? Yeah. I couldn't tell you where we went on our first date. Was he nice to you? <laughs> trying to think. <laughs> I, I was nice to her. Yeah, I mean, she became I'm trying to think where the first date was. Prob- um, Maybe over this break, you can figure it out and then come back. We did have a class together, together and we, we, uh, we went to the track together and wrote about horse racing. You went to the track as a date or you just no, went, we went to uh, the track the on assignment? Okay, I got you. I mean, that would be a... I, I don't know if I'm impressed or disappointed if your first date was at the track. No, that You're would be a good bet, first date. Betting on the ponies? That would be a good first date. Saddle up. Yeah, you could find out Stables. a lot. You could find out a lot about the woman you're taking out when you take her to the track. <laughs> I wish I had done that. But. Does she stay and ride the heater, or does she, does yeah. she get out Trifecta. after a couple bets? Get some hot dogs. Yeah. Superfecta. Uh, coming up, college football, the entertainment value this year. Up. Compared to the National Football League. Down. It's on Saturdays. Withrow wrote about it. Chad's got details next on Outkick 360. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! 
Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Live from 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine, Outkick 360 rolls on across the Outkick network. You can read the article now at outkick.com. College football is lapping the NFL and entertainment value. Chad, you wrote about this. It posted earlier today, and it's time to break it down on the show. And I don't disagree with you on this yeah. based on the, the quality of play we're seeing on Sundays and in primetime. I wanted to make sure that my eyes weren't deceiving me in terms of what I was seeing every weekend watching college football and watching the NFL. And it really started with games in that primetime window on the NFL were just under-delivering constantly, whereas the college game was not. In some of their biggest matchups, they were delivering. There's no real fair way to look at this, I think, other than the way that I viewed it. Because if I just said, let's take the top 10 college football games of the year – and compare them to the top 10 NFL games of the year, that's not really fair for the NFL because there's so many more college football games. Same can be said for the worst games of the year, right? That wouldn't be fair to college football because there's so many more games, you're going to have more bad games also. So what I did was I took a look at the top 10 highest-rated NFL games of the year and then looked at the top 10 highest-rated college football games of the year. I'm going to quickly run through the top 10 NFL games. And... As you're listening to this, guys, just start thinking about any real memorable moments or memories about some of these games, okay, that were the most watched. The and year. I'm listening for the Bills, the Bucks, and the Cowboys galore as they've started the season. Yeah, so the Cowboys appear four times, and I write about this in the column. Keep in mind with some of this, those four games, all of them Cooper Rush appeared in. That hurts the quality of the game when Dak Prescott's out and your backup quarterback's playing. Dallas-Cincinnati is number one with 27.4 million viewers. That was a late afternoon CBS kickoff in week, week two. Week two, yes. Number two is Green Bay-Tampa Bay, right? Makes sense. Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady. Oh, by the way, a big part of the NFL's problem, veteran quarterbacks not being any good and on bad teams. Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, chief among them. The biggest celebrities in the league, especially with Brady and Rodgers, not playing all that well. Their teams aren't really playing well. That hurts the watchability of the league. But that's the second highest rated game of the year. Buffalo and KC. Now, by the way, this is through week six. All the data that was compiled was through week six, so the last two weeks aren't on this. Von Miller, big stops late. Buffalo, KC, yes. That's what jumps out to you about that game. Uh, New England, Green Bay. That was Bailey Zappi entering the game. Um a pretty good game, though, right? What I jumps like out was, to me that about good. that, though, is that it's not Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, that was a 27 to 24. Got the score down here. Green Bay win in that one. Next is Cowboys Rams. That was a late afternoon kickoff on Fox. And was Dak not in that one? He was not. No. And the Cowboys won 22 to 10. And yeah, the Rams game. are awful. Not, not compelling. Tampa Bay Dallas to open the year. That was a blowout for Tampa, 22 to 3. That's where Dak Prescott injured the hand and Cooper Rush was forced to play, and Dallas was terrible. 
Uh, Kansas City, Tampa Bay. Uh, that was kind of a shootout, but a little bit deceiving in that I feel like Tampa scored some late to make it closer than it was. They ended up losing by 10, but it felt like it was a, a bigger yeah, blowout yeah, than that. It did right? feel, yeah, it felt larger than that. Brady still threw for over 300 yards in that game. They, they couldn't run the football. Kansas City, I believe, was coming off their first loss to Indy and then went to Tampa. Right. Yeah, 41 to 31, though. So score-wise, a lot of offense that game, which was not a bad thing. Uh, Dallas, Philadelphia. That was a Sunday night football game. Philly won by nine. Cooper Rush was the starter for Dallas. So and Philly was up great. big, and then Dallas pulled the comeback. Yep. Uh, the oh, kickoff on Thursday night. I was at a Backstreet Boys concert. You guys were watching. Bills, Rams, blowout. Disappointing. Yeah, very disappointing. 31-10 to 10 was the final of that game. And then 10th on the list is Denver-Seattle. Russell Wilson's return to Seattle. Uh, 17-16, good game, but a low-scoring game. So the average of those 10 games that we've watched, for all the talk about quarterback, about offense, everything with the NFL, how difficult it is to stop the great offenses in the league. The great offenses in the league typically are the ones in prime windows for NFL where the national audience is watching. The average score of those 10 games, 24-16. to 16. In those games. And there's been a lot of talk about close games, seven-point games, all of that. You're just outside that. So college football, quickly, uh, I'm going to go straight down the list. Tennessee-Bama, most-watched game of the year. Second-most-watched, Bama-Texas. By the way, there's a Cowboys theme. There's a Bama theme with some of these games also uh, in college football. Number three, Notre Dame-Ohio State to open the season. Number four, Ohio State, Penn State this past weekend on Big Noon kickoff. Notre Dame, Ohio State. No, Ohio State, Penn State. Uh, there's far too much being made out of that game. In the end, you said yesterday nothing definitive came out of it. It's like a 16-point game in the end. It was yeah, definitive. It was, it was good up until about nine minutes left. The Penn, final, Penn State held the lead with nine minutes left. Yeah, it was 21-16 Penn State. And in the end, it, it was out. definitive. Yeah, it, it fell off. But it was a good game up until that point. Um, number five... Florida State LSU on Sunday night to open the season. Number six, AM Bama. Seven, Penn State Michigan on big noon kickoff. Eight was the Oregon Georgia blowout. I'm surprised that number didn't drift yeah. way away. Nine, Bama Arkansas. That was close for a while. Arkansas came all the way back, but Bama ended up winning big. And number 10, Tennessee Florida, which was a 38 33 game. So, what did I find in that? Well, there's more points, but not necessarily closer games. Averaged out top 10 most-watched college football games. The average score was 36-23, to 23, so a 13-point spread. So my conclusion in all of this was my eyes aren't deceiving me necessarily, but it doesn't mean that the most-watched college football games are always Tennessee-Bama in 52-49 to 49 with a last-second field goal. I really think that college football in large part is being buoyed by Tennessee with some of these games. And what I mean by that is Tennessee appears twice on this list so far. There'll be a third time because this will be the highest watched game or second highest this weekend against Georgia. And their level of entertainment, especially that Tennessee-Bama game, that is shining so bright, I think, for college football most watched games because that was a, a once-in-a-ten-year type classic between those two teams well, and, then, and, that, and on that CBS window that, and then Bama, that's going to be memorable forever. Bama is also booing this. The tight window games, Texas, Tennessee, A&M. They yeah. all include Alabama. Yeah, you're right. 
I think the best college games have certainly been better than the best NFL games. I'm very much an NFL guy. And, and, uh, and uh, just a lot of it is just the NFL, uh, never minding the college games, the NFL product has just not been as good. And so a, a good football what game, though? period, is more appealing, and the NFL has offered fewer of them. But what has, but even when they're close games, which on paper would help out their stat here. Yeah, which is my thing. It's still sloppy NFL play. Game. The Titans can barely score three touchdowns right now. <clears throat> yeah. And they yeah. have five wins on the season. That's, and I usually would trumpet a close um, NFL game above all else, and I've watched some close NFL games this year that just don't cut it. I mean, last week was a prime example. No, I mean, Titans, Texans... 17-10 is the final, but it felt like it was twenty-four no, nothing. Yeah, it I was mean, a it brutal, was, brutal watch. Um, well, you know, the, and the, the entertainment values with Josh Allen and with Patrick Mahomes, and while it, Mahomes is really starting to put it on, he's had three straight—not three straight—he's had three games of over three hundred yards passing. His most recent one was like four hundred twenty-three yards um, in, against San Francisco's defense, and they're they're starting to really come together offensively. After you know two losses where they couldn't score more than Josh Allen's twenty four points for the Bills, and then their special teams really gave the game away against the Colts. Other than that, the entertainment value is there, and we get to see Mahomes on Sunday Night Football. My my question would be though, okay, you get Mahomes, how ugly will the Titans make this game? It's gonna it's gonna be ugly, I, I think, on the Titans' part, and, and also keep this in mind. Even if I, they win, because because I was interested in this, I really believe. Mahomes and Allen and those offenses are the only thing making the NFL watchable right now with these games. So I took the Chiefs and Bills games out of that list in the top 10 mm -hmm. and did two different lists. The average score goes from 24 to 16 to 20 to 12 if you eliminate the three, three or four games featuring Bills or Chiefs in the top 10 most watched. That's how much... They pulled that down. Now, the Eagles' offense is also great, but they're, they're not in a lot of national windows right now or not in this top 10. Um, but that was, that was interesting to me. And, Hunt, to your point, I don't want to make this about, uh, well, it's all about, you know, oh, you just want offense, you want points, that's it. No, I want good games, but I also want well-played games. Yeah. I don't watch this and think, I, I'm a fan of a 16-13 slobber knocker, excellent defense, Offense is playing well, but the defense is just so great type game. We're not seeing that as much in the NFL. Well, here's it's more about sloppy offensive play. And Paul, in a league that is designed to help the quarterback survive and thrive and to help offenses, this is a great mystery to me how defenses are so far ahead of offenses right now. Well, also, uh, Derek Henry was taking some questions. Uh, Teresa Walker, the Associated Press, working on a story. Run, running numbers are up, which – you know, in a, it's been passing heavy for so long that, that they're fielding questions out there about run games. The Titans have been up for a long time, but other teams are, are starting to do what the Titans have done. Part of it out of necessity. Here's the thing. Brady's down and Rodgers is down, all right? Well, we didn't expect it like that, but we knew the next generation's coming, right? And Mahomes and Allen are doing their part. You just mm -hmm. go in the AFC, though. Tua... Good, but interrupted by the concussion thing, two and a half games. Herbert, not getting it done. His nope. team's not getting it done. Watson's out, and we're waiting on him. Lawrence, we just talked about the other day, not getting it done. Zach Wilson, not getting it done. Uh, Russell Wilson's been, uh, uh, his horrific play has been one of the stories of the year. 
Derek Carr just got shut out and the Raiders aren't doing anything. You run through the AFC quarterbacks and the guys that we expected to start to replace some of the stars are not showing up. The two top guys are tremendous in Mahomes and Allen. Who's next? Burrow, uh, you know, has been up and down. Just talking about AFC? We like him next. I'm just running through the AFC, which we said was going to be absolutely stacked at quarterback. And the list is two and a half. Yeah, I mean, Jalen Hurts is is the is the story of a guy who's young, yeah, he's who's coming good. out of nowhere, right? That's that's really stepped his game but up. Quarterback but quarterback play in the NFL, no, which bad. last year it's we bad. were saying, hey, it's much better than we expected. We're not missing these these uh, the, the the generation that's starting to fade as much as we thought. Now we are. Well, so the, right now that the younger guys are not stepping up to the level that we expected. And we would all agree the low light of the season that I, I talk about and write about in the column was the back-to-back Thursday night football games. Atrocious. 12-9, to 12-7. to 7. Colts. 12-9 to 9 Colts over Broncos. That was Matt Ryan versus Russell Wilson. Names. Two guys who are names who have been to Super Bowl. Uh, one of them's been to a Super Bowl. The other one's won a Super Bowl and been to another one. And they were terrible. I mean, that was a punt fest. That was a, and that, I have the stats in there about the, the worst combined games punts and turnovers memory. and everything. And they followed that up a week later with Commanders Bears, 12-7. to A game where Carson Wentz did not throw for 100 yards. 99 yards passing, and they won 12-7 to against Justin Fields, someone who could be a star in the league that's not, that hasn't emerged. To me, that is a great example of the lack of quarterback play in the NFL this year. There are guys that are capable of stepping up, and you just went through the list in the AFC – it's not bleak forever. I think it's going to course correct, and we're going to have more entertaining games. But this is the time now. College football really is starting to wind down in the month of November. you got three or four games left for everyone, and then you've got a long layoff, and it's going to be playoff or bowls for everyone. This is the NFL's prime time. they got two months now to make this more entertaining. Ratings aren't going anywhere. This past weekend, I looked at some numbers from, from Week 8, as good as it's been since 2016. Over the last six years for, for ratings, people are still going to watch. We're habitual watch. Doesn't mean that the product's not good. Right. So and it can be both. I, I'd like to see it pick up. Well, I think they can manufacture better games now because they're going to have the ability to flex these games as we get into, into the months into after Sunday college. Night window. And there's some, uh, 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 oh, at right least now, one Saturday late, maybe two Saturdays late, where they still haven't plugged those games in. There's some. There's one game on the Titans schedule that's not known if it's Saturday well, right, or Sunday yet. A right Titans now, there, game there are some flexible games coming up. Um, you've got, and you can start doing this, I believe, in week 11. Um, Bengals, Steelers, Colts, Cowboys, Chiefs, Broncos, Patriots, Raiders, Bucks, Cardinals. Those, that's your Sunday night football schedule throughout here after this week. Yep. Well, no. Two weeks from now, gotta find. You're gonna be able to find better. And going back to the run game discussion, like it's uh, runs. Run games are doing better. It's not a significant jump. Last season, through eight weeks, we had 55 games of 90 or more rushing yards by one player. And this season, we have 68. So, 13 more instances of it through eight weeks. Um, small increase, but it is an increase. And we have 24 running backs with at least 400 yards rushing. So that's compared to 19 last season. So we are seeing more of it. I also think that it's 
I think it has a lot to do with the offensive lines, too. I think the offensive lines across the league are down. I think offensive lines reason. are at the core of a lot of this. And because of that, teams are running it more because that's what the old line can do instead of protect their quarterback on every down. It's, less, though, com- hey, it's less complicated although to say. Brady's throwing it 50 times a game. Justin Herbert's throwing it 50 times a game. I mean, look around at these pass attempts, and you'll, you'll see teams that can't run the football but really need to. Because their offensive line's not yeah, good. Yeah, I don't think they're great run blockers either, but I think it's easier to tell a guy fire off yeah. the, the ball, right? And well, offensive linemen like to yardage. do it better. <laughs> as bad and as you're that not going to get your quarterback hurt. Yeah, exactly. You're not going to lose yardage. You're, you're going you're gonna to at least have third down and eight instead of third and 12. Bring on the punter. I, I also I am curious, and we're going to talk about this more as we get closer to the end of the season, but with the college side of this, how much differently, and, and not just because we host this show in Nashville and we're around Tennessee a lot, but how much differently we would feel about the season overall if that top four was just the usual suspects again and Tennessee didn't crash the party. Oh, I've said – And, and TCU didn't crash the party. Whether it was Tennessee or anybody. Football. Yeah, just somebody group, new. Just having it out, but not just someone new, but someone scoring 50 a game. Yeah, right. That's on, on pace with the 2019 Joe Burrow LSU offense – and ahead of them in many ways. Well, I don't think it was very likely that the breakout team was going to be a defensive juggernaut. Though Georgia obviously was a defensive juggernaut, but they're, 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 yeah. they're not quote-unquote new. Well, I mean, what, what the but playoff But I just think needed, that, that helps our perception of the, of the sport, that it's yeah. more yeah. fun now because of that. Absolutely. And we're a game away from seeing USC in the mix. Like that, That's another topic we had this offseason. Like, can we have the resurgence of some big-time programs that will bring back more competition to a 12-team playoff? And right now, um, Ole Miss against Michigan? Or who would it be? It would be LSU against Michigan. That'd be I mean, great. Let's, let's see it. You know, like, just start running through it. Or That's a lot more intriguing than Titans versus Chargers, right. which is a first-round playoff game right now. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Is it, is it Titans Chargers? It's not yeah. Dolphins. No, two versus seven is Titans Chargers right now. Coming up, that we, the Titans uh, are two tells you a lot about NFL football right now. Yeah, they were one last year. <laughs> yeah, but they they were good last year. <laughs> They're not good this year. They, I, I don't know how good they were last year without Henry. I mean, they could run the football, but. They found a well, way they had last back year in to the piece playoffs. It together. If they went one more game, which they should have at least gotten to the AFC Championship game, he might have gotten his sea legs. At any rate, last year's version of the Titans with, with Roger Saffold, uh, oh, with yeah, A.J. Brown, Brown was significantly Jones, better than oh, this team. So that, that represents <laughs> yeah. that's another thing that represents what's changed in the NFL. The Titans are on the same course they were last year. They have no receivers. Their offensive line is down two other pieces. That's a good They've example. They've gotten significantly worse, and they're in the exact same position. Well, almost the exact same position they were last year. They said, no offense, no problem. We got this, guys. We don't need to throw the ball in this league. Coming up, it. SEC schedule-wise, who's in the upset position this weekend? Of the non-Big 2 games, LSU, Tennessee will remove them from the upsets, and we'll take a look at the rest of the games. That's next on OutKick 360. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire. By famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. 
live only on Netflix. Coming up, we've got the Vegas perception of the Southeastern Conference, top to bottom, where they would have them ranked on a neutral field. That's coming up in about seven minutes. Um, SEC schedule this weekend, of course, Georgia, Tennessee, LSU host Alabama under the lights Saturday night. Beyond that, Florida visits College Station to take on Texas A&M. That's an 11 a.m. kickoff. Uh, also at 11 a.m., Kentucky on the road against Missouri. Auburn and Mississippi State will kick off at 6.30 Central Time. And Liberty visits Fayetteville to take on the Razorbacks. That is a 3 o'clock Central kickoff. Of those games, of the, the four games not being played in Athens or Baton Rouge, which team is on upset alert the most in the SEC this weekend? Well, I wanted to go with Liberty over Arkansas, but Davey talked me out of it because apparently Liberty has some quarterback issues on their fourth going guy. on. Um, <laughs> so I'm not, I'm not going to go with that It's the one. biggest spread of the weekend. Liberty is getting 13.5 points. I'm going to go with Auburn. Uh, give me Cadillac Williams. Reviving the troops a bit for Auburn. They, they still have decent talent. Tank Bigsby's obviously very good. Um, I, I could see that. That wouldn't be the wildest thing to happen. Auburn winning a game after firing Brian Harson and with an interim head coach. Paul, we were discussing all offseason. Can this be the year that we see progress with Vanderbilt? Can they win an SEC game? Yeah, I, I'm going go. to take that one. I, I, t- I bet on them against Missouri and then watch Missouri I, run out to a 14-point lead and then watch Vandy come back to lose by a field goal, depressingly. Um, you know, and I, I think South Carolina has been routinely uh, – overrated or had excuses made for it so i'll go there i'm going with the gators against a&m i like the uh the road underdog there because a&m a lot like kentucky pour salt into that wound of misery on a&m Hutton. that's what that's what will happen if florida goes in there and wins and it's an 11 a.m kickoff that's the other factor for me there i'm totally a&m dead to me headlines next and sec and vegas pairing up on the rankings